From high atop the Camelback Towers in Scottsdale, from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, this is Checking In with Check for a Lump. Arizona's prominent breast cancer nonprofit, providing free education, mammograms, wigs, and support. Now, let's check in with Check for a Lump. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Checking In with Check for a Lump. I'm your host, Ashley Plum, and I'm here with my co-host, Holly Rose. Hello, Holly. Hey, Ashley. How are you today? Doing good. Today's guests, we have Dr. Kurt Hoffman and Dr. Julia Brookman, both from Evernorth Care Group, talking about breast cancer surgery. They are um, going to be doing a two-part series, so this is part one today. Um, But before we get started, I want to thank our annual sponsors for helping make this podcast possible. Arizona Center for Reconstructive Breast Surgery, Cancer and Blood Specialists of Arizona, Cigna, Mint Dispensary, Pfizer, SonoraQuest Laboratories, and True Leave Harvest. We appreciate you all. Now, I want to welcome Drs. Kurt Hoffman and Dr. Julia Brown. Welcome, guys. Hi. Julia Brookman. Oh my goodness. Thank Let's start. That's over. <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> Not totally. Did I totally mess it up on the it's first one too? Brookman. No, the first one you said right. The first one I said right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Rewind. Now I want to welcome our doctors, Dr. Kurt Hoffman and Dr. Julia Brookman. Welcome guys. Hi, we're happy to be here. Yeah. Do- thank you for coming out today. We appreciate your time. Yeah. Dr. Kurt Hoffman, is board certified American Board of General Surgery and has been practicing since 2013. He received his doctorate from Wayne State University School of Medicine. He has completed his residency at Banner Good Samaritan Medical Center. Some of Dr. Hoffman's accomplishments include completing the Physician Leadership Development Program, Leading for the Future Training, and Intuitive Da Vinci Robotic General Surgery Training and is a member of the American Society of Breast Surgeons. We also have Dr. Julia Brookman, who received both her undergraduate degree and medical degree at University of Arizona in Tucson. She completed her general surgery residency at Phoenix Integrated Surgical Residency at Banner University Medical Center in Phoenix in 2015. She spent five years practicing in the East Valley after residency doing emergency general surgery and trauma, as well as maintaining a robust elective practice. Dr. Brookman joined Evernorth Care Group in 2020 and says she focuses on establishing a relationship with patients founded on trust, compassion, and mutual respect. Dr. Brookman is a member of the American Society of Breast Surgeons. You guys are amazing. (laughs) Well, it sounds impressive when you put it all out on paper. paper, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, today we're going to be talking about breast cancer surgery and um, just some information, you know, for our listeners so that, you know, they have a little bit more um, insights, you know, if they're newly diagnosed going into diagnosis and what they can expect or things like that. Um, you know, as somebody that's going through a diagnostic testing and, um, you know, some, you know, they go through the mammograms and the MRIs and everything, uh, then they do the biopsies. Is that something that you guys do in your practice or do you have them do that through the imaging center? Well, 
So there are some surgeons that do do stereotactic biopsies. We don't do those in our practice, but in, at Evernorth Care Group, we have a really great set of breast radiologists that specialize in that area. And so we have them do the biopsies as they're already reading the images. Okay, that's that's good. You know, that way it's it's all still within the same same group so you guys can easily talk to each other. There's a lot of coordination between us and our radiologists. We have a breast tumor board that meets every two weeks and we discuss patients together so that everything is approached with a team approach. Nice, nice, that's awesome. Um, so we've got, you know, one of our questions today is, you know, if somebody has an abnormal breast biopsy, can you describe what happens with that? And then, you know, with that, then what would happen after that? So typically a patient is going to present to us in the office, having had a biopsy performed through the radiology department. Um, hopefully by the time that we see them, we have some basic information back, including the type of tumor that's involved uh, and, and some of the other characteristics such as the hormone receptor status. That information can help to make an initial decision on surgery. We also want to know where the extent of the, uh, the, the disease is at that point in time. So initially, we're trying to get an idea of the, the, you know, the preliminary staging of the cancer or the, the process that's going on. And then from there, the decision kind of splits into a couple of different trees. So when we have more advanced disease, sometimes the patient might be more appropriate to start off in oncology. There may be indications for them to have chemotherapy ahead of surgery, to shrink the disease down, to make it more manageable, to make the surgery more efficient. On the other hand, we often see patients who are coming in with fairly early stage disease, no evidence of spread. Uh, and in those cases, we will typically start with surgical you know, decision-making and planning at that point in time. So it kind of depends on what you get when you first get that initial biopsy sampling. Okay. Yeah, and I think I'd like to add, I mean, obviously breast cancer is our primary concern you know especially in this particular discussion but i do want our listeners to keep in mind as well there are some abnormal biopsy results that aren't necessarily cancer and they may still require a surgical approach but perhaps not as extensive not as extensive treatment but there is a possibility to get benign results where nothing else needs to be done benign results where something needs to be watched where they might just need follow-up imaging in six months to check and make sure things aren't progressing and that things are stable. Or they might have a benign result that's abnormal but not cancer, so it needs to have a surgical biopsy. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard of that before. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit? Maybe kind of in layman's terms as best as possible? Sure. So a surgical biopsy is essentially a biopsy of that entire area of tissue. So when you do a needle biopsy with radiology, they're seeing a lesion or an abnormality on the mammogram or the ultrasound or the MRI, and they're taking a needle and taking a small sampling of that area. So when you have a needle biopsy, it samples a part of that area, but it doesn't sample the whole. And okay. so sometimes when you get an abnormal biopsy, it might not be cancer, but it can increase the risk for cancer. So we want to know the whole picture of that whole area. We want to know what that entire lesion or what that entire lump looks like under the microscope to make sure there's not anything there that we didn't pick up on the biopsy as it's only a small sampling of the entire whole. Okay. But yeah, that makes sense. 
So a surgical biopsy is essentially a more extensive biopsy than a needle where you make a small incision. Kind of, if people are familiar with the word lumpectomy, it's like a mini lumpectomy or a tiny lumpectomy where you're removing that tiny area. So it's smaller than a lumpectomy, but still biopsying where you're making an incision. Okay. All right. So Holly, we just heard about abnormal breast biopsies with the needle biopsy versus a surgical biopsy. In your experience, when you were going through breast cancer, um, could you tell us about your uh, breast biopsy? Yeah. So I had a needle biopsy that came back abnormal. And uh, it's just such a terrifying experience as a, a young woman. I was 39 years old when I was going through it. And they shared the results with me and let me out the door. And I had no idea what was the next step. You know, who do I, I didn't even know who to call. Do I call a surgeon? Do I call my OBGYN? And um, thankfully, my husband had some doctors within his family who helped direct us, but such a terrifying experience. So I would love to to know your navigation system, what that looks like, and how you help patients along that path. So we at Evernorth Care Group, we do really focus on having a pretty comprehensive approach. But when the patient has an abnormal biopsy that does come back positive for a cancer, it's certainly a very shocking experience. And a lot of patients really don't know what to think. They're surprised. And, you know, I've talked with our radiologists about this, and they do offer to answer questions, you know, on the phone when they're calling them with the biopsy results. But I would say most people are in so much shock getting that initial diagnosis of cancer. They don't, they can't even think of any questions. And so a lot of times those questions then come in the following days as they're processing the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when the radiologist talks with our patients, they then put in a surgery referral at that time. So they're immediately referred to our offices to start that process. And we have referral coordinators that also help schedule their appointments in our office. But truly, when they come to see us, it is usually the first time they're seeing a doctor face-to-face to talk about the diagnosis. And so it is, most people have quite a few questions. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, if if the the, the the patient would go through all of their diagnostic testing and then be referred to the surgeon. So, cause not everything necessarily is something that you would have to be a, in surgery for. So is that why they don't refer bef- to the surgeon before finishing all the diagnostic testing or is it a case by case basis? So oftentimes we're seeing the patients right after they have received results from their biopsies. And like Dr. Brookman was saying, we've kind of have a streamlined approach so that the patients, you know, as soon as they're given that diagnosis, they're given an appointment time as well so that they know that next step. So it's kind of about kind of leading people along through this in a stepwise fashion. It does get very complicated and, and doing it step by step seems to be a little more more um, tolerable to the patients. But ultimately, yeah, we want to get the people in as soon as possible after they had their biopsies. Once they have that diagnosis, we will typically see them even if there is still pending workup to be done. But there are many biopsies that come back negative, and they don't require a surgeon to be involved. And, and sometimes involving a surgeon, you know, outside be, of a need can can create its own anxiety. Exactly. It can be a lot more stressful, exactly. you know, because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, not, you know, what's, why do I have to see a surgeon if that's not going to be anything, you know, so mm-hmm. that... Well, 
That, and you hear abnormal and you instantly think, I'm going to die. <laughs> At least that's what I thought. Okay, I'm dying. <laughs> that's not an unusual thought. A lot of yeah. our patients, I think, have that same experience. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was nice. My surgeon, the first thing he told me uh, when I called, I, I was able to speak to him because it was a, a friend of a friend. And he called me, he said, this is not a death sentence. And that was the most beautiful statement to hear. Yep. So mm-hmm. that's that's our focus is just getting people to through that system, moving mm-hmm. people along into the the surgical referral as soon as they get that diagnosis, so that we can start to you know educate and, and get people's mind back into the right state. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One of the things I mention when I see my patients, especially you know that high anxiety and yeah, they are worried that this is what if this is a death sentence. And we look at the biopsy results and I go over all of the features that are on those biopsy results with them. I give their pathology results to them so they have a paper copy and it helps to them to better understand it and also have more control over the situation because they have their biopsy results in hand. Right. And, and sometimes having that visual to look at helps them under be able to process and understand it mm-hmm. easier. Yeah. And, you know, we have gotten so good at detecting breast cancer over the years, you know, and women have their screening mammograms frequently. So a lot of times it is a very early stage breast cancer nowadays. Now, not all the times, but right. for the most part, a lot it is. And 60% or more of all breast cancers are early stage. And so I do have that conversation with them. And I say, look, this is small. This is early stage. The outcomes are very good this is not the end of your story. This is something that we have to take care of. We have to we have to get it taken care of and treat it, but this is not the end of your story. Yeah, that's incredible. Out of curiosity, all the data that I see for young women 40 and under, it's increasing 2% every year. Are you seeing those numbers and the young population, are you seeing that increase personally? I would say that I have seen a few more younger patients than I would expect. Yeah, it, it's not a drastic, you know, you're not seeing a, a, a huge shift, but you do see more than you'd expect. Yeah. And I think we're general surgeons. We do a lot of breast cancer surgery, but we do do other surgery as well. And I would say over the years, as my practice has evolved, I've seen a lot of patients come in at younger ages with m- many different types of cancer. Yeah. That's That's unfortunate. It is. It's very unfortunate. Well, I think it's time to take a short break and rock out. And we'll come back and we'll talk about breast surgery options after that. So this week's musical guest is the Black Moods. They are all super supporters of breast cancer because they've all had a family member who has had to deal with breast cancer. So we're excited to have the Black Moods as our musical guest this week.
Thank you so much, doctors Hoffman and Brookman. We're so happy to have you guys in. We talked about abnormal breast biopsy and what to expect and what's next um, in the first part of this. And now we're going to talk a little bit about breast surgery and some different options. Uh, would you guys uh, tell us some of some of the op- options? Because I know there's quite a few options in breast surgery. Yeah. So I think one thing to mention, especially when you're talking about surgery for breast cancer is that not all breast cancers are treated with surgery first. There are a few, most, most women fall into the surgery first category and then medical treatment afterwards, which might include chemotherapy, might include hormonal therapy, radiation, all of the above, none of the above. You know, every, every woman's journey is a little bit different. And so most women fall into that surgery first category, but there are a few instances where somebody might require medical treatment first before they have surgery. And what would those conditions be? So if it's a particularly aggressive cancer, there's one specific type of breast cancer called inflammatory breast cancer, where medical treatment with chemotherapy is required first to calm it down. And then say you have a situation where you have a large tumor and a small breast you might wanna shrink that tumor down so that the cosmetic outcome from surgery is better. There are also instances where if the lymph nodes are shown to be positive ahead of surgical treatment, that might be an indication as well to give chemotherapy to shrink those down and limit the amount of axillary surgery. Interesting, interesting. There's so many factors I know that, and everybody is different. Like literally every case is different, it seems like. I mean, you can you have these kind of general overall options, but each woman is a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. Hoffman, can you mm-hmm. share with me, I had axillary uh, lymph node dissection and I heard, uh, I can't remember where I was at a lecture that they were saying that they were no longer doing that. Are Is that protocol, are they still doing it or are they not doing it? So that is a trend. I would say, I wouldn't say that it's a hard that we're not doing axillary dissection anymore, but what you're seeing is a trend away from doing it as much and as aggressively. So um, axillary surgery, the more you do, the more chance you have for chronic arm swelling or lymphedema. 
um, the more chance you have to hit a, a nerve that might control some of your shoulder motion um, or a blood vessel. You have lots of stuff going on in there. Um, and so what we know now is medical treatment has gotten so much more effective that the, the axillary surgery has actually become more about staging than about treating the cancer. So what we want to know is, are their lymph nodes positive? How many roughly are positive? And to a certain degree, that makes, it makes a, a difference. And that helps to, tr to know which patients need the more aggressive chemotherapy or axillary radiation. It's not about trying to cure the cancer by removing it from the lymph nodes. Yeah, because what we found actually in all the newer studies is that whether the lymph nodes are involved or not, a complete axillary dissection or removal of all the nodes doesn't actually change the outcome. So when, oh, I, when I did mine, they only took um, a few of the sentinel nodes. Is that you know, kind of more of the, they're are they still taking some of the nodes to check, but they're not taking the full dissection? Okay. Yeah, so when you talk about breast surgery, um, there's the breast component of the, the operation. We'll talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about that in a moment, but there's also the axillary part. And mm -hmm. this is all about, again, the staging of the tumor and kind of getting all that information about where this tumor is and how aggressive mm -hmm. it's being. And so when you do the axillary surgery, nowadays we wanna you know, limit the amount we need to do, but we still wanna sample it. And we do that with a sentinel lymph node biopsy. So during the surgery for your breast treatment, you'll have an injection done in the breast, and that can be a combination of a radio tracer or a dye. Um, and we even have a new technology that uses a totally different injectable. But basically, these uh, work on the same principle. They end up soaking into the first couple of lymph nodes that would drain that area of the breast, and that allows you to selectively sample usually one to three lymph nodes for a, an accurate representation of the total picture. And if you see nothing in those, you can be very confident nothing has spread um, mm -hmm. through those t traditional pathways. But if you find something, you may want to go take a few more out to complete that staging piece. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, I had the blue dye, as we referred to it in, in, yeah. in the non-medical term, the blue dye injection, mm -hmm. and then it went, and so they were able to figure out which ones were the sentinel nodes that they needed to take out for me. So... Yeah, and that significantly lowers the risk of complications mm -hmm. doing the sentinel node versus an entire axillary dissection. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the different options for the actual breast surgery. You know, we've talked about the sentinel nodes that that come with that um, surgery, but let's talk about, I know there's several different options in breast surgery. We can get into more details in our second part next week, but let's Let's do an overview, if you don't mind. Sure. So when you're talking about the breast component of the surgery, as Dr. Hoffman mentioned, which I think is a good way to split it up, there's mm -hmm. two parts of that surgery that come hand in hand, is the lumpectomy, which is the removal of the tumor with some normal breast tissue around it. So still preserving the natural contour of the breast, still preserving the natural breast, and then the alternative is a mastectomy or removal of the entire breast off of the chest wall. Now, is the mastectomy, there's a single versus a double? And then, I mean, we can kind of, we'll get into that more next week. But then also with that, in my experience, they did a nipple removal, like a full nipple removal because of the, you know, the, the 
outcome, the percentage of outcome, you know, and the risks and stuff for coming back, you know, is that something that you guys also do? Yeah. So when you look at mastectomy, um, you can actually split that into a few different variants. Um, you have a traditional mastectomy, which will typically remove the nipple and the areola with the underlying breast tissue. And you can sometimes leave extra skin for reconstruction or actually close that flat down to the chest, for example. Um, there are also nipple sparing variants and skin sparing variants, and those are mostly geared around reconstruction. So once you've decided on reconstruction and had a discussion with a plastic surgeon, usually a, a technique will be selected that best suits your reconstructive purposes and the treatment of your cancer. So in some instances, if it's near or involving a nipple, sparing the nipple may not be a, a, a good decision. Um, but, uh, you know, again, that's a decision that's very customized to the patient and where the tumor is and their desires for reconstruction. Yeah, as well as the type of tumor, because if it's a really aggressive tumor, you know, the nipple in a real or complex is still breast tissue. So if you're yeah. leaving that behind, there is potentially a small risk for recurrence in that tissue. So if it's mm -hmm. a more aggressive tumor type, that would be another reason to take the nipple a real or complex when you're doing the mastectomy. Yeah, interesting, interesting. What are some questions I know when my husband and I went in, you know, being so young and, and not knowing anyone had gone through breast cancer, what are typical questions that, um, good questions for a patient to be asking their surgeon? So I think that in an initial visit, um, I think it's important to try to define what the initial staging is or where the presumed staging is. How advanced is it to start? Uh, I think it's important to define what options do I have, because not every option is necessarily going to be recommended. So narrowing that down to help you make decisions can also be very helpful. Once you know the, the type of tumor, how aggressive it is in the early staging, then you can often make m most of your initial decisions from that point. So those are kind of the things that I would I would focus on as a patient. The other thing you might want to ask is, is there any additional testing that I need to have done before I proceed with surgery or medical treatment. And that could include some tumor markers. There's a couple tumor markers that we know now can be elevated in breast cancer. They're not elevated in everyone, but if they are elevated, they can be used for monitoring after surgery for looking for recurrence. And so it is useful to have those, especially if somebody does have an actual breast, an invasive breast cancer diagnosis. and. Another question regarding additional testing, sometimes we'll do MRIs. We don't do breast MRIs on every single person, but if there's a question about other areas of the breast that look a little abnormal that we want to know more information about, that would be a reason to get an MRI. And the MRI will give us a little more detail in looking at both the breast tissue and the axillary tissue as well. And then, of course, for people that may have advanced breast cancer, they're gonna need some additional testing to include staging, which would include a PET scan. And that's a full body scan that is looking for other sites of potential cancer. So when you do a PET scan, it is a scan that is focused on high glucose metabolism areas. And cancer is one thing that metabolizes glucose at a high rate. And so other areas where there might be cancer spread will potentially light up. 
I did do genetic testing, which I did not have any genetic markers, but had I, it would have been completely different surgeries for me. I did choose to have a lumpectomy, which I'm very thankful I was able to do. But if I had BRCA1 or BRCA2, I would have said, take them both and let's take my ovaries, take it all. So it, it definitely determined my my surgeries. Yeah, so genetic testing is a whole nother question. And, you know, for some people, genetic testing is a good idea. For others, it might not be. If this cancer is looking like it could be a cancer that has features related to genetic linked tumors, then genetic testing would be validated. Now, one thing I will point out, and I think this is not well known, is that of all the breast cancer diagnoses that are out there, only 10% of them are hereditary. And I think when we when we think about breast cancer, we do think about family history. Well, who in my family had breast cancer? And, you know, aunts, grandmothers, mothers, sisters, you know, daughters, that we, patients, we start to think about that type of thing and all the people that are related to us that might have had it. And it is important to learn, important to know that the hereditary breast cancer or gene-linked breast cancer is actually a very minor, it's a very small portion yeah. of overall breast cancers. It was so shocking to me to learn that 90% of breast cancer is not hereditary. That's one of the whole reasons I started Check for a Lump was to educate people. I had nurses asking me, you know, is... Uh, who has it in your family? I'm like, no one. And nurses did not realize that 90% of women. So I just realized we've got to educate women so that everyone is checking. You know, I was 39, no family history. I did not have a genetic component and wound up with breast cancer. One of the things I also tell people when we're talking about genetic testing, because it is a frequent question that comes up in that initial visit. And if it looks like the features of the cancer are likely not genetic related. Sometimes genetic testing can actually create more confusion. So when you do genetic testing, there are, we know a lot about genes, but there's, we still don't know everything. And so occasionally the test results will come back with a gene that is abnormal, but we don't know what that abnormality means. So then we're left in this mystery. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have this gene and it's abnormal, but it's not a traditional abnormality. So we don't know if this abnormality means anything for you or if it's just a different variable for you. And to cl- oh, that's interesting. Yeah, to clarify, you know, we know pretty good, you know, to the number how much risk you're going to have if you have a BRCA positive gene, for example. But there are many genes that can be tested on a panel, and in some of the gene panels I've seen test up to 46 different genes that are not BRCA. And so you could have a variant in one of those genes, and, and again, we don't know exactly what that means um, at this point. So it can create a little more confusion sometimes. Yeah, know? it's a little bit like opening Pandora's box. It is, it is. And, and I don't think we have enough time to unpack that <laughs> in today's podcast. But oh my goodness, we have learned so much today from you guys. And you're coming back next week to do a part two so we can talk a little bit more about breast surgery and kind of get into that in a little bit more detail. Um, and so I want to thank you so much for coming in today. Can't wait to get started again next week. Uh, for right now, I want to thank our annual sponsors for making helping make this podcast possible. Arizona Center for Reconstructive Breast Surgery, Cancer and Blood Specialists of Arizona, Cigna, Mint Dispensary, 
Pfizer, SonoraQuest Laboratories, and True Leave Harvest. And each week before we go, we always like to add a little challenge question. Um, so we're going to do our challenge, check for a lump challenge question. So our question this week is, where can you find more information through Check for a Lump about your pink path and what that pink path might look like? Holly, do you know the answer to that one? Ooh, I do, I do. If you go to our website, checkforalump.org, and click on education in our free magazine, you can scroll through our magazine, go to page 50, and we will help you navigate the pink path, what resources you need, what doctors you want to see, what questions you want to ask. So take a look at that and our magazine online at checkforalump.org. If you want to find more information from Evernorth Care Group, you can go to evernorth.com, go under their general surgery, and you can look for doctors Hoffman and Brookman. And this has been another episode of Checking In with Check for a Lump. Thanks for listening.